Let us pray. O God, who didst lay the foundation of man's being in wonder and honor, and in greater wonder and honor didst renew the same, grant that by thy holy incarnation that he who is partaker of our humanity may make us joint heirs of his very Godhead. Even Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who with the Father and the Holy Ghost liveth and reigneth ever one God, world without end. Amen. Two things just to start. One, it's it, in the hymn, Be Thou My Vision. It's, that's an Irish melody. Uh, and I must tell you, I, I love that particular selection of words because it says, heart of my great heart. And a lot of people don't know, but that's an Irish term of endearment coming out of the Gaelic language. I was just looking on my phone, trying, just looking over it, because <clears throat> I was going to try to pronounce it in Irish for you. But uh, uh, the first thing the Irish people did when they came over here was jettison the language. So uh, we hardly know it anymore. Uh, in many case, one of the things I learned in, in looking at it was that originally it's believed that the expression was harp of my heart, which I think is even richer. Harp of my heart, the one who gives me song. Uh, so anyway, it's a term of endearment when you sing it, you'll never be able to see it again. It's like it's like a love song to Jesus, you know, heart of my heart. Uh, anyway, the other thing was after what we talk, things we talked about last week and in the past and in many of the lessons. When I got here last week, of course, I I can't stand long enough to to do both matins and mass, and that's why I opt out of matins. But as I got in the back in the vesting sacristy, the the cantors were just starting where they were doing the Psalter portion and they just started Psalm 80 verse 1 and I, I wanted to run out and, and yell did you hear that did you hear that because this is what it said hear O thou shepherd of Israel thou that leadest Joseph like a flock show thyself also thou that sittest upon the cherubim do you hear it <laughs> it's coming out everywhere uh, all the texts that are related to uh, to the uh, the creation thematic and so many different things that are related to it. So so when you hear that saying upon the cherubim, you know we've discussed this enough that you can actually begin to hear creation. The word is just sort of resonating through everything. God is creating and recreating all of this, and we're being drawn into it. Uh, so anyway, today I want to look at creation and liturgy, uh, and, and this is simplistic. Because it is so complex that if I were to go into all of it, we would be here for hours upon hours and days upon days. Uh, we've been accumulating this material in the church for 2,000 years and even longer if you include the Jewish antecedents to it. Uh, and, and therefore, there's so much more. So I'm only touching on a few of the things. And I want to leave some surprises for you anyway so that when you hear all this and you go through the liturgy, it'll start jumping out at you. That's one of the joys of this. Father Zacharias Zacharu, whom I love to quote a lot, uh, he's written a book called, many books he's written on the spiritual life uh, that I highly recommend. Uh, it's called The Engraving of Christ in Man's Heart. And he says this, we must acquire the right vision if we are to understand all the phenomena of spiritual life. The more correct and elevated our understanding, the more our life in God will be inspired and enriched. That's why I say when you, you, you hear these things like, show thyself, thou that sittest upon the cherubim, you go, oh, wow. Uh, it's creation and temple and paradise and the Garden of Eden. It's all woven in there. Uh, there are other creation texts in the Bible besides Genesis 1 and 2. And generally, they are these. 
Job 38, verses 2 to 18. And from here on out, we'll just call it Job 38. Just read the whole chapter of Job. Uh, don't worry about it, but it's specifically verses 2 to 18. Psalm 104 in, in the Coverdale Psalter, any of the Western Psalters, if you do any of the Psalters like Roman Catholic or Orthodox, it's Psalm 103. So I'm just going to call it Psalm 104 for our clarification. What we do in church is Psalm 104. Okay, The numbers just differ, that's it. Uh, and lastly, Daniel 3, in particular, verses 51 to 87, which are not found in any Bibles that are not Orthodox or Roman Catholic. Uh, that's another story in another series of lessons. We're not going into that right now. Uh, in any case, that part of Daniel is also called the Song of the Three Young Men. Remember the story of the three young men? I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, and also it's called in the liturgical tradition of the Western Rite, the Benedicite, which that's probably what I'll call either Daniel 3 or the Benedicite is what I'll call it. So you need to know those things. Now, let me just sort of go through these briefly. I'm not going to read them to you because it will take too much time. Uh, we've got enough to say as it is. In Job 38 is basically God's answer to Job. If you remember the story of Job, things went wrong for Job. He was a, he was a godly man and things went wrong for him. I mean, everything went wrong for him all at once. Happens frequently to many of us. Um, and all this went wrong at once and Job was fine for a while, but eventually it just kept coming down on him and he finally got so mad he started I mean, you can almost see him raising a clenched fist to God. And he's saying, come down here and answer me if you will. Even challenging God, come answer me man to man. I mean, that's sort of the way it's all. You have to laugh because it's so pathetic. And yet, it's a good, it's a good mirror for all of us. Uh, in any case, Job 38 is God's response. And within the response, God does, sort of does a summary of creation. He says to him, where were you when I created the universe? When the angels sang. Where were you? I mean, talk about getting, yeah, I got the point. You don't need to go any further. Uh, but he, but he, he, he reiterates the creation story. And it seems to, the account seems to uh, replicate, if you will, the order of the creation story in Genesis 1. Remember, there are two creation stories, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So he speaks of the, refers to the immaterial creation that is in the Song of the Angels. They're there. The first lights. Remember in Genesis 1, there was light before there was the sun, the sun and the moon, before there were the sun and the moon. Then he speaks of the creatures and then of man. And so in that order, you have a similarity to Genesis 1, almost as if the writer is referring to that. And the point of, the, of Job 38 is, in order to understand God's answer, one must begin to grasp his place in the order of creation. And man is, of course, in the prime place of the order of creation. Psalm 104 uh, iterates both creation accounts. It starts at a psalm, almost the entire psalm is about creation, reiterating it. Uh, God's presence, the creation of the heavens and the earth, the creation of the deeps and the waters, the appearance of dry land, the creation of creatures, the creation of man. Uh, that's like Genesis 1. It's almost the same order. And then all of a sudden it shifts around, and its order is very short, but it looks like Genesis 2. The creation of man, the creation of creatures, the cre creation of the elements. That's in Psalm 104. The point is that this is the context of all praise and worship, creation. So what we're talking about is the context of all praise and worship. And there's, there's nothing to what we do without this in, in, in mind, in the context. 
And lastly, Daniel 3, verses 51 to 87. You remember the story of three young men. Nebuchadnezzar set up a statue of himself and said, when you hear the, all the music played, everyone will fall down and worship me. Um, and the, the Jewish people said, we can't do that, especially these three young men. We cannot do that. We'll do, give you any kind of obeisance you deserve, but we will not fall down and worship you. And he said, if you, and he built up a big stove, big furnace. He said, if you don't do it, you're getting thrown in the fire. And they said, you can do what you want. God will save us. And if he doesn't, that's okay. So they got thrown in the fire. Uh, and in the, in the furnace, they're marching in a circle, sort of dancing in a circle and singing the hymn. And this is the, 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 these are the words of the hymn. And it's very interesting that in a major portion of it, the hymn is about, about creation. And this is the part that unfortunately is omitted in the Hebrew uh, canon of scripture and omitted in most Bibles in America, Protestant Bibles basically, not included. It is included in the Catholic Bibles and in the Orthodox Bibles, the two churches who have any historical uh, proof that they go back to the beginning. And in that text, God is envisioned on a throne. All creation is reacting to the vision. It seems to reflect the order of Genesis 1, the angelic realm, the luminaries, the earth, the green things, the seas and rivers, all creatures, and finally, humanity. The point of it is when the three young men respond to God, they sing a song of praise, which recites creation. So praise, true praise, recites creation. And they understand their faithfulness in the context of creation. Now, you can you need to study these yourself. You need to look at them yourselves, read them yourselves, and get a feel for them. I'm just skimming over them here for our purposes. Now, here's the thing, and this is why I want you to hear the verse, the, the, the names, you know, Job 38, Psalm 104, Daniel 3. Creation, 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 Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22. Remember those and think of creation. Now, in the church's calendar, the liturgics of the church in, are intended to reiterate this to us and keep it always in front of us. And that's why, did you notice the smoke hovering in, in, along the ceiling this morning? Say, if you're nodding your head, you're hooked. You're hooked. And as all of this is coming together, I, I was looking up saying, there, there he is. <laughs> You know, it is beyond that. It's, it's like an icon just floating up in the ceiling for us. And that's the idea. Uh, in any case, in Genesis 1, if you remember, a day starts when? The night before. There was evening, there was morning, day one. Day one is the beginning. Day one in the week is Sunday. The day of creation. The beginning. The beginning of the end. The beginning of eternity. And so when does Sunday begin? Saturday evening. Well, I don't like comedies, but one of my favorite comedies is, is The Frisco Kid with Gene Wilder. Uh, and it's about a rabbi from the 19th century who takes a call to a synagogue in San Francisco. He's from Poland. And he's suffering culture shock, not to mention religious shock. And so he's taking this train ride in part one scene out across the plains and it's Friday afternoon, and he realizes that he's going to have to get off the train and walk in a strange land. Uh, and he's explaining to the audience what happens. And he said, in Judaism, we don't work 
on Saturday, and we don't ride on Saturday, and Saturday begins on Friday. So, you know, it's kind of, it's Jewish humor, mind you, so, uh, but the point is, it's the same for us. Sunday begins on Saturday, on Saturday evening. And so, here's an interesting thing. Saturday evening, in Vespers throughout the week, in the Eastern Rite, the psalm appointed, the same psalm every day, is 103. The creation psalm every day of the week. So everybody said, well, Western Rite doesn't do that. Well, we do something even better, I think. That is the office hymn. The office hymn for every day, the ferial days of the nuns, days when they're not saints listed, major saints listed, uh, are hymns, the words of which speak of the different days of creation. So if one follows this every with all the ferial office, the ferial hymns, one will reiterate, starting on Saturday with him to the Trinity, in the beginning, God, he created, remember, it was plurality, multiplicity, unity, the Trinity, and then each day of the week is followed, iterated uh, in, in, in the hymn. Uh, so all of creation culminating on Saturday when God rests and humanity is in its perfect condition, and who is the, exempt, the exemplary model of, of humanity for the world? The Blessed Virgin Mary in the Western Rite, Saturday is devoted to her. That's creation. Wow. We'll never be the same when we do these things. And that's the idea. Get drawn in, sucked into it, if you will. Have no, we have no choice but to do this. I'm telling you, you're going to see all kinds of things. I saw something like two natures in the candles, to, in, in the altar, uh, no, the act lights, candles, and there were some numbers, things that were going through my head. You can't even pay attention to worship. You're so caught up in all this stuff. Uh, but that's part of it. Then there's the Benedicite, Daniel 3. In the Western Rite, monastic offices use this hymn on Sundays and festal days throughout the year. Now, we also have what we do here is called the English office, or I like to call it the parochial office. Somewhere down the line, someone had the, the sense to, why, rather than ask the lay people to pray eight canonical offices a day, why not use the monastic tool for, for bringing offices together and telescope them? And so morning and evening prayer, or vespers and matinses, we have them here, uh, were born out of that. And basically, they are the telescoping of these offices into four, into two. So matins is basically matins and lauds, and vespers is basically vespers and compline. So whether you know it, when you pray those two services, you're praying parts of four of the offices of the monastic tradition of the Western Rite. It's pretty cool. So the monastics uses it on Sunday and feast days, the Benedicite. The English office, the parochial office, and I don't know why they changed it, but it's still the same idea, uses it on the Sundays of Lent, I mean Advent, pre-Lent, Lent, and any ferial days, the days without saints assigned to those days. So it's like creation being reiterated constantly, especially I find this interesting in Advent, I mean in Lent, for example. When we think of Lent as all oh, this time when they're going to oppress us with all these rules and we can't do this and we can't do that and we got to fast and we got to go hungry, we got to do this stuff. Paradise is being opened to us. That's what that hymn is saying. Creation is being opened to us. That's why you're going to hear this 
but Lent is a participation in paradise. Wow, who ever heard of that nonsense? Well, that's why the monastics get off on it. You're gonna see, you're gonna hear more about this next week. Uh, so, so the Benedicite is used in those times in various offices. Holy Saturday, you know, the great vigil. In the Eastern Rite, there are a series of lessons. They use Genesis 1, 1 to 13, Psalm 104, and Daniel 3. In the Western Rite, if you recall, the first of the lessons is Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 4. That is the entirety of the first creation story. Everything else of the readings depends on that reading. And in fact, there are 12 readings, and the parish is allowed to use uh, or to omit some of them. Do you omit any of them or do you use them all? Yeah, you have to have a minimum of four, and they're designated. Uh, and the Genesis 1 is the first one that's designated. We're not given a choice on that because it's so, it's so relevant to the entire theme of what's going on. Lent, in the Eastern Rite, Genesis 1 is the first, use the first week in Lent. Creation. Lent is creation. It's recreation. Uh, it's also used in the first Vespers of Nativity and the first Vespers of Epiphany, linking those revelations to creation. Wow. In the Western Rite, Genesis 1 is used as regular readings during the ferial days of the first week of pre-Lent. So pre-Lent, preparing for Lent, they're reminding us creation is the theme that underlies all that we do, creation and recreation. And so they're spread out over the days of the week. It takes about five of the days of the week to cover Genesis, the creation stories in Genesis. So there it is at the beginning. We're preparing for creation, not beating people down with these burdens of rules and all this kind of stuff. I used to hate Lent when I was an Episcopalian. I hated Lent because it interrupted my prayer time in the flow. <laughs> it's only later that I'd be thinking, this is awesome. This is an awesome time. There's nothing like it in all the world. Now, just an aside, step aside for a minute. I, I couldn't resist this one in inserting this. In both the monastic tradition in the Western Rite and in the English office tradition, the lesson, one, of the lesson, one of the lessons for the daily services on the three last days of Holy Week uh, includes chapters from Lamentations. Now, Lamentations is a series of laments about the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in 586 BC. But you remember that the temple and paradise and the human heart are all categorized together. They are places where God dwells and manifests himself. And so Lamentations in lamenting the fall of Jerusalem can also be read as a lament of the fall of humanity from the beginning. And that's why it's there in the lessons, preparing us for the resurrection celebration. So you need to read Lamentations 1 through 3. How great is the fall of the city. Wow. We've lost all that. It was taken away from us. We gave it up. We still give it up. Anyway, in the Western Rite, at the end of our sequence of, of Lent and Holy Week and Paschal Tide and, and the Pentecost cycle is Trinity Sunday. So we culminate all of that and all the work of God in that on Trinity Sunday. And in our lectionary, two of the lessons for Trinity Sunday are Genesis 1 and Job 38. 
gosh, I never knew that was there. I've been reading this stuff for years and years and never noticed. The fourth week in Advent in the Western Rite calendar. And the Western Rite uses the readings from Revelation. The Eastern Rite does not. But we do, but only in Advent. Because Advent is a time of expectation of the coming and the return of Christ. The fourth week of Advent, the lessons are from Revelation 21 to 22. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, the fourth week. So you, that's just that's just skimming the surface of what liturgy is for us. By the way, I, I, that was the other thing. I got caught up this morning, and I do every week. Uh, we're going to talk about this more in the future, about our role as, as the crown of creation. Uh, and I get really caught up in the curie and the gloria, because in the curie, it's like we're standing in our place as creation intended, as the representatives all of creation before God. Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy. We say it nine times, three times each of the persons of the Trinity. And then all of a sudden we shift around and representing the angels, we sing their song, glory be to God on high. I just, oh, it's awesome, that whole song. You think of the song of the angels, it had to have been that hymn. And here we are representing them before God. So it's, it's like capturing who we are and who we were supposed to be in the beginning of creation. Now, shift gears just a little bit, and let's talk about architecture just a little bit. Architecture should, replace, should reflect paradise as well. When you build a church in orthodoxy, you read the rubrics and how to do the liturgy, and then you build according to the liturgy, not build and then fit the liturgy in. It's what they do in America. Do whatever you think is right. If it looks sweet and nice, that's fine. But just as you need to. Well, you know, sometimes you can't help it. If you're in a small parish and you, have, you get a trailer out somewhere, you have to adapt. Okay? But when you go to do your building project, the, the, the building committee must read the rubrics, must read how the liturgy must be done so they can design the building appropriately. Because paradise is, the vision of paradise is what's at stake. And so the buildings will reflect the ancient temple, which reflected paradise. So the buildings will reflect paradise, or should, or at least a semblance of it. And so usually what will happen is the church building will include three parts. Remember, the temple had the, the large area, which was squared, which included the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the men, and then the sections for the priests, and there was a small areas where the temple building was, where the priests worked, and then there was the holy place, and then the holy of holies, smaller and smaller and smaller within that, that big square, but including that square was all of creation represented in the presence of God. And our buildings do the same. We are, <clears throat> the world is the square, the world out there, and we come out of the world, and we are in, in the intersection, the nave, it's called the nave where the people sit facing toward the holy place. It's not called the sanctuary. That's a Protestant term. Sanctuary is the area inside the altar rail. It's the nave from the Latin word navis, which means ship. We're on a ship to Christ. Some of the old wooden churches in England, they have these, they have these beams and rafters in the ceilings. And if you look at it, so many of the priests, the Anglican priests will tell you, it looks like the bottom of an ancient wooden ship. It might be that the word novice comes from that. I don't know, or they're related in some way. Might be. So you have the, na the nave, 
which is the world and all of us are in the nave representing all of creation before God. And then we have the sanctuary, the holy place. And the sanctuary is delineated by the altar rail on the western right and the iconostasis in the eastern right. If you don't know what the iconostasis is, you need to. Those two came out of the same place. There's something in the west called a rude screen. We had one at St. Benedict's. That has nothing to do with the altar rail, nothing to do with the iconostasis. It's a medieval monastic thing, and it's a good thing. It's just different. So some people like to say that the rude screen is the western right version of the iconostasis. Incorrectly, incorrect. The altar rail is. So the altar rail marks off the holy place where the priests go and those who serve. And then within the holy place, there is the tabernacle on the altar where the body and blood of Christ are kept in reserve. And so God is present in that place. That is the place where only the priest is supposed to go in, no one else. So, you know, you don't get to waltz up there and, and, and go in the tabernacle. Even the deacon here lets the priest get the things out of the tabernacle. So, so that refers back to temple practice where only the high priest went in the Holy of Holies and it's veiled. And in the Eastern Rite, they tend to be square based, square based, like the Holy of Holies in the ancient temple. In the Western Rite, they're round based. Remember, I told you the round is a Western Germanic Celtic symbol of deity, and the square is the Semitic or Middle Eastern symbol of deity. So, our tabernacle has a round base on it. That's very Western, but it says the same thing. And where God is, is paradise. So only the priest goes in there. The, the area of the temple of the altar will be built, raised up, because in the ancient temple, they went up steps. Everything was on steps going up. Everything was mounted. So even the journey, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem is called Aliyah, the going up, the ascent. So the Psalms, they sang 122 to one. 32, something like that, the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms they sang as they went to the temple to go up. Even the priests had to read the Psalms as they went up the steps. To do this. Even from the idea of God first calling his people released from captivity to himself, where did he call them? Come, let us go up to the mountain yeah. to meet with the Lord. Yeah. Well, it was an ancient Semitic concept, an ancient Middle Eastern concept, that when you wanted to go to God, you always went up. Even if you went on a mountaintop, you went on a hilltop. Even the, the, the story of the ziggurat and the Babel story in Genesis, they were building at this thing up to get to the deity. Uh, and, you know, this just makes us, it just gives us symbolism, but it doesn't make us closer to the deity unless we are really ascending in the truest sense. Uh, so the, the area in the sanctuary will be elevated even the churches used to be elevated, but now in our day of trying to make access for everybody, we, we've, we've lowered the nave for its even step. But it used to be they were very. If you look at churches in America that have been around a long time, go through small towns in Texas and notice, go through the town and notice there's at least one old church. I don't know what it will be, but there'll be at least one old church. It's probably been there since 1880. And what you'll see are about eight or nine steps up the front and a half floor down below. So they go like this, up and down and into it. Uh, that reflects the fact that even, even the old, even in the Protestant churches in 19th century America, they understood there was a going up that took place. And it was reflected in the architecture. Some cathedral churches 
in, in Europe, and even today, Eastern Rite churches reflect the vision in Revelation where the where St. John had the vision and God was sit Jesus was was Jesus was sitting on a throne and around him were the angels and the and the patriarchs in a half circle. And in the cathedral church in the Eastern Rite, at least, and I think it used to be this way in the Western Rite many generations ago, the bishop sat at the back behind the altar, facing the nave, and around him stood or sat the clergy that supported with him, which represented as well not just humanity, but the angelic hosts. Uh, in, in Wichita, the cathedral is designed that way. So it reflects that vision of, of paradise. And in the, in the church, uh, in the Eastern Rite, the iconostasis is kept closed all the time, except during a service. But during Paschal time, from the resurrection to the ascension, the doors are open and left open. So if you go into one of those churches, Eastern Rite, uh, during that time period, you'll find the doors open and you can see into the sanctuary. And, the re and one of the things behind that is in the resurrection, all of paradise has been open to us. But you see, in the Western Rite, we never developed the iconostasis. So it has always been our posture that heaven has always been open to us. And I'm not saying that one is right and one is wrong. I'm just saying it's open. We see into eternity. We see into paradise. <laughs> See it. It's not just the space up there for, for him to hang out, or me when I'm filling in somewhere, you know, or for any of you who are serving the altar. It's not just a space to hang out. It is a, it is a, it is a window into paradise, just like an icon is. Now, shift to liturgy. We get blasted every Sunday by water. I like your thermal, it gives a good hit. Uh, <laughs> I can, having been on both ends of that, I can tell you, I get really whacked in the face, which is the point, and I can see it coming out of the thing as I do this, so that's what you want to see. And remember, what is in the beginning of creation? Water. The waters of creation. All of creation is washed, and waters serve as a part of the recreation. So even in blessings in the Western Rite, I think it's true in the Eastern Rite too, and this is not everything, but most things will include blessing with holy water. And what is holy water? But water that has been blessed to serve God and therefore serving its purpose as it was intended in the beginning of creation. And so then we bless something and we sprinkle it with holy water. This is now what it was supposed to be. Just like we are what? Sprinkled with holy water to remind us that we were washed in water, regenerated, born again, uh, restored, recreated, or we're at least on the process. And every Sunday we're reminded of that. And remember, I told you this a few weeks ago, that the, the, the prime form of this, the Spurgees, is the, the, the Vidiaquam done during Paschal time, which says, I saw water pouring forth from the temple in heaven. <laughs> How much more we needed to tell us what this is all about. The waters of creation. Then there's the opening statement of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of what? Heaven and earth. Reiterates it. One of the things about the Eastern Rite, there's a, there's an, a vestment that they have. It's similar in function to our humeral veil, but not the same, but it's squared. And they put it over the chalice and the, and the, and the, what, the, the, the their version of the patent. It's a little different. 
they put, they drape it over and they carry it around in straight. When they come to the altar, they put it up on the altar at the offertory. And while the people are reciting the creed, the priest waves it over. And it is said that the theological meaning behind that is the Holy Spirit hovering over all of creation at the beginning. Wow. See, we don't do that in the Western Rite, but that's okay. We, we've got different things to do uh, in that. Okay. In the Incarnatus, by the Holy Ghost of the, the Holy Spirit, Christ is incarnate by the Holy Ghost of, of the Virgin Mary. The Eastern Rite says of the Holy Ghost and the Virgin Mary. Remember, in creation, we were intended to be co-creators with God. Not creators, co-creators. That is, his grace flows through us and blesses and transforms all of creation. Born by the, incarnated by the Holy Ghost and the Virgin Mary. Rich wording. Rich, rich wording. And, and don't ask us if we can change it. We can't. <laughs> Bishop Basil would be all over us, wouldn't he? If we did. He does not like confusing of the Eastern and Western rites, and he's Eastern rites, so... Uh, I've had many great conversations with him about that. What do we see on the altar on the retable? Six candles. Remember what I've told you, the six candles, which can, can represent the six days of creation, can represent with the crucifix the seven branches of the tree of life. Uh, <clears throat> there's life coming out. It's up there telling you, crying out to us, look here and see with different eyes. And then there's the incense. The incense which, which in its attempt to obscure the, a direct vision of God, gives us a vision of God. And then there are the vestments. There are four basic colors, four basic colors of vestments. The, the green, the white, the red, and the violet. Now, there are some variations, but, but those are the four basic colors. In the temple, the veil that went over the Holy of Holies had embroidery in different colors, four different colors. Blue, white, red, and violet. So the colors of the vestments, the four basic colors, reflect that temple veil. And the priest is supposed to be an image of Christ. We're all supposed to be images of Christ. Veiled in the vestments of creation that shield us from seeing God and at the same time reveal him. The prayers. When you look at your prayer book, even your, I think it's in your, your, your altar little booklet you have in the pews. When you conclude a Mass, the people's prayer is the Benedicite, the song of creation. And I, I'm, I'm getting older now. I don't have the balance I used to have. But I, I, when I filled in the last couple of times, I really, really wanted to recite that as we were going down the aisle processing out. But every time I'd look down at the book, I'd start to weave and I'll <laughs> fall over here and it's going to be a tragedy. So I best stay on task and just look straight ahead. So that's the way I did. But you don't have to worry about that. So you just read that. It's a recitation of creation and a reminder always of everything that's entailed in that uh, at the end of the service. And one last thing, the priest posture. You know, some of us came out, come out of have come out of churches where, where the clergy are now facing the people. And I know that in the Anglican tradition, that was originally imposed at the Reformation because there were, there were stories in the popular view, view about what went on at the altar while the priest had his back to the people. And it was called hocus pocus. It's an aberration of the of Latin for this is my body. But it was they believed that priestcraft and magic went on up there. 
You know, in fact, that one priest jokingly said, when the priest makes the sign of the cross, he needs to keep it small because if he moves his arm too much, it looks like he's sawing the sacrifice on the altar. So, <laughs> so anyway, you can imagine if the priest is too emphatic, the priest and people wonder what's going on up there. See, nonetheless, so they turned the ground so people could see there's nothing unusual going on up there. He's just making the sign of the cross. <clears throat> we didn't make that change, and we don't want to, because the priest, and this, and this really tells us something about ourselves, all of us. The priest, when he's up there, when the priest serves in the church, he represents us, all of us, and he represents Christ. When he's with us, he's, when he's facing the altar, he's with us. So he's one of us up there, an icon of all of us. So we're all there. All of us are there. Stand in his person. And when he turns around and faces the people to give a blessing, it's almost always to give a blessing or to convey something that Christ would do. He represents God manifesting himself. Just like the high priest in the ancient temple. When he went into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, he represented all of creation. When he came out, he represented God. And so that's an icon for us. Because we come in here, we stand this way facing east. We're, we are representing all of creation before God. And when we leave and we go out, we represent God to all of creation. That's the way it is. If we want to be truly human, we have to accept that and start to try to live up to its expectations. Start to try, okay? Because we all know we got all this other stuff we got to deal with, but at least let's own up to it and try. But if just let it go and think we just show up and, and, and make ourselves feel better about ourselves and then go home and eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow, we get to watch another football game, you know, or something like that. Uh, that's not why we're here. So the priest posture is a reminder of it, to us of that. So remember that. And, you know, you can, you can hold his feet to the fire, but remember what's good for the goose is good for the gander. <laughs> it goes for all of us. Uh, in any case, I think that's, let me go back to that, rich, the original quote that I gave you, uh, because I think this sums it up in the importance of this in a, in a way. We must acquire the right vision if we are to understand all the, all the phenomena of spiritual life. The more correct and elevated our understanding, the more our life in God will be inspired and enriched. Is that not ever true? So in any case, uh, end of that lesson, the next time we're going to be talking about a participation in paradise. It really talks about the, the details of the spiritual life and how they are a participation, not just in religion but in paradise. Questions? Yes, sir. What about Proverbs 8? Isn't there about, or thereabouts, there's creation with wisdom. Yeah. God created wisdom, and then with wisdom created everything else. Yes. Because that's another going through. Yeah, and, and usually the Proverbs texts are, are reserved for Marian feasts, not necessarily exclusive to that, but yes. So they are related, yes. And I did discuss wisdom. Um, wisdom is a part of the, the whole creation thematic concept of wisdom. I just did discuss that partly in another lesson, and maybe I'll make it a point to bring that up again the next time, just so we catch it in the context, because there's something really important about that. It has to do with the way we were made at the beginning. So, anything else? Thank you. <laughs>